1: Challenging, thought provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, former law enforcement officer, and founder of the internationally regarded Executive Protection Team. Through counseling, elite life coaching, and national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This series is biblically and politically engaged with the pedal to the metal. With today's edition of God in Country, here is host and author of the acclaimed yet controversial book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America. Dr. Sean Michael Greener.
2: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to have you. Chat is open. You have reached the collision of faith and politics. We have a really cool show for you today. I'm real excited about it. As you guys well know, uh, I'm a huge fan of our guest today. Um, Bill Federer, William J. Federer, uh, to me, uh, between he and um, – and, and I joke around with Rick because he's my good friend. Uh, by the way, it was his birthday after uh, – the day after the show, last week it was his birthday. So uh, happy birthday to you. And, uh, but my buddy Rick and, um, and David Barton, I would say, are three of the best historians I think you'll ever run across and people who know – truly, truly know uh, what's up. And I'm excited to say he's on today. Uh, Bill Federer is on today. He's been on, I think it's his third time. And it's it's going to be great to have him. Um, <clears throat> let me say this really quickly, that I think you need to know uh, one of the things that Bill's going to talk about, I think, is is real, real important. Um, and, of course, he's an internationally regarded author and historian. Uh, but he's also a great, great Christian man. And, and his his knowledge of scripture is mind-boggling. Uh, and then when he ties that in, he's like a human timeline, you know, a big poster. I have a big poster. It's a biblical timeline as everything goes on. He knows all that stuff. He knows all the world events that were happening at the same time. It's just absolutely amazing. And um, so let's see here. Welcome to uh, Data Genesis. And uh, we're good to have you folks from PJNet. That's awesome to have you. I'm privileged to be uh, whatever role I can over there at PJNet. i going to be speaking and uh, that's, a, that's a video platform as well as audio, by the way. It's like a live streaming YouTube thing. And I think it's only on Sunday nights. I'm learning more about it, but uh, I'm looking forward to a shared role there and uh, great, great people. I'm telling you, really, really great people. So uh, all of that said, to say this, that um, we, uh, chat is open, by the way. I don't, I don't know if I said that. I might have not said that but uh, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. So uh, anyway, the point is, is, is that here we are. This is the collision of faith and politics. This is, um, look, this is, I don't know what you want to call this. I don't know. I don't know what you want to say that it is. Uh, somebody was asking me to describe what we do. And the other day, and I just was, I said, I don't know. I just think it's, we get on here and we and we we lay it out. We kind of lay it out. Hey, next week uh, he is far far away, but this uh, this week he's far far away. Last week he was busy jumping out of an airplane uh, for money, and uh, and he'd do it for free, and so would I. But uh, Andy Stump will be on next week talking about two incredible articles. We're real, real 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 pleased about that. First, let me say this. First, I mean it's like the eighth thing I've talked about, but let me just say I want you to understand that. Um, we don't, somebody asked me uh, and they sent me a real nice email. It's very respectful. They said, we notice you don't talk about gold stars, uh, gold star families, gold star moms, gold star dads, gold star sisters and brothers uh, that we don't, you don't, um, you don't talk about that as much as you used to. And I have to say, and I want you to understand that, that it, it's not because I'm not so heavily involved. In fact, I'm going to be uh, doing a, a thing with the Michael Strange Foundation, Charlie, Marion Strange and, and uh, Mr. Quinn really uh, top-notch people. I mean, these people, of course, the um, Charlie Strange, as you know, Michael Strange was killed in extortion 17. And um, I, I just I just want to say, I haven't forgotten about them. Uh, I feel, and I got to thinking about it, and I said, you know, if I say this every week, that people are going to grow weary of. It. Hello to Jerry from Pennsylvania, by the way. Welcome, 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 brother. You can't keep a good brother down. We have sure missed you. Um, Jerry's over in chat, always dispensing great wisdom and, uh, my great, great grand. What a, what a blessing it is to have him as my friend. I'm, I'm a lucky, lucky man. So I want to, I just want to say gold stars, you will never be forgotten. And I don't know how the sound is, by the way, we have, uh, we're trying something a little different in our settings. So we just don't know, uh, how it sounds. So I depend on you guys to tell me and, uh, we're, we're, um, we're hoping it's good. But if not, we switch back. We got everything ready to rock and roll on the on the switch back during one of the commercials. And welcome to Kel from RFB Radio with Kel. Great to have you. It's an honor to have other uh, radio hosts listening in. And um, I'm just, I'm humbled by it. I'm not a professional radio guy, I don't pretend to be. Um, but you know we're just doing this thing and seeing seeing what we can what we can do what we can do so gold stars you know and, and a lot of people tell me they don't know what that is but i did get a really beautiful letter this week telling me that you know i miss you saying that because right at the beginning it reminds me that you know what you know life is life is tough for some folks right now and and we need to remember them because they're not going to be remembered by our government it's just not what they're going to do so suffice to say, we're not—we're not, we're not going to forget them. And uh, I want you to just remember: there's a, there's a lot of people out there who are living right now in a very, very quiet uh, pain, very quiet loss. So we're going to be talking about that. There's an upcoming um, workshop for the Michael Strange Foundation, and I'm honored they invited me to come and speak on grief and dealing with the grief, the different stages of grief. We're going to bring some really. Uh, some some different different approaches uh and, and we're going to see what we can do for these folks great great people and they deserve the help um, we're at war folks you need to understand that, that we're at war we just had more troops go over uh that they're in the combat zone and as soon as those feet hit the ground and when those jets are flying over we're at war you need to understand that it led to me one of my favorite uh, poems and um you know people know that i love uh, photography i love poetry um, of course, I love the gritty gritty stuff of life, but uh, I, I must say that I uh, I, I do like poetry. I, I like poetry and this is one of the poems that I think is from a uh, warrior soul standpoint, this for me really speaks to me. And maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, but it's Invictus by William Ernest Henry. It was written in 19 or published in, in 1888, 1888. Now he only lived 10 years after this poem was written. He had tuberculosis and a lot of people don't realize that you can lose your, your limbs from tuberculosis. You think it's a lung thing. That's it. No, there's a lot to it. And uh, so he was the writer of this poem, which really he's written a ton of poems, but this one poem is really what put him on the map. And, but in 1875, one of Henley's legs, it would require amp- amputation because he had tuberculosis and then he had uh, all kinds of complications. So, but immediately after the amputation, the doctor that did that amputation said, hey, we're sorry, buddy, but you're going to have to have your other leg amputated now. And so he's like, "Mm, slow down, slam dancer. I don't think so. And so he enlisted the services of uh, an English surgeon who's now obviously very famous, Joseph Lister. And he was able to save Henley's remaining leg. He did a bunch of surgeries and different things to it. So while he is in the infirmary recovering, he wrote the verses that became Invictus. Now, just so you know, he didn't title this poem. Somebody else came along later and titled the poem, but this period of his life with uh, along with recollection, recollections of his impoverished childhood, he was very, very poor. Uh, they were the primary inspirations of this poem and they play a, a big role in this meaning. Um, you, you have to understand that uh, Victorian stoicism, the stiff upper lip, as you've always heard, a lot of self-discipline, a lot of fortitude, um, It is quite a different deal. And so this is why it's a it's an important poem. And it's been it's been read at many, 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 many important things. Uh, So this is Invictus out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. A poem now because uh, you know as we start talking about history with the great Bill Federer uh, here in just a few minutes realize that Bill's book uh, is called this is his new book who is the king in America and who are the counselors to the king uh, I have to tell you it's it's an extraordinary and absolutely extraordinary um, thank you very much uh, some folks are saying thank you for reading that well you're welcome I didn't think I get thanked for reading poetry on the air, but all right, that's cool. High five. Um, So, so Bill Federer, William J. Federer, uh, he wrote this book, Who is the King of America? And you know, you could answer that question really quickly and say, well, we don't have a king. We don't have a king. We don't have one. Sorry. It's a silly question type of deal. Before you answer, do you know what the most common form of government is in world history? From the invention of writing around 3,300 BC, uh, the world has mostly been ruled by kings. They call them different things. Um, Pharaohs, chieftains, emperors, Caesars, sultans, khans, maharajas, monarchs, dictators. They all act the same. It's powers like gravity, it concentrates into the hand of one person who rewards his friends and punishes his enemies. In socialist and communist countries, too, though professing equality, they inevitably end up being run by dictators. The King of England was the most powerful king the planet had ever seen. When Americans got the chance, they set up a government as far from a king as possible. They flipped it and put the people in charge. A republic is where the people are king, ruling through their representatives. Now, now that you're listening, uh, I'm I'm looking forward to you hearing from uh, Mr. Bill Federer. Uh, he, he will be on in just a few minutes with us. Um, I've got to tell you folks for real and for true, you're going to get a lesson and you have to hang on because he's, he, he sends it. I mean, he sends it downrange. You know, he really, really does. Thank you, by the way, to all the people listening around the world that are sending me messages. I really appreciate, appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, Sunday night, we had 19 countries represented and I think that's pretty cool. 19 countries. I'm gonna try to get to 20. This coming Sunday, I'm really excited to deliver the message Sunday. Um, if you need some help the, the, and things are a little bit down for you, go to the TheNinjaPastor.com, click on listen, and you will see uh, the living hope. I think if you're not happy by the end of that, I don't know, maybe. <coughs> oh, we like a good cup of coffee, wake me up. But excuse me, I'm still fighting that whatever it is, it's gone, then it's back, and it's gone, then it's back. You know, hey, what are you going to do? But I listen to Invictus and I find, hey, I'm not giving up. So what makes, one of the things that helps us with this show is Second Call Defense. Um, and, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a gun person, if you own a gun, if you carry a gun, especially if you carry a gun, but if you own a gun, you really need this. Go to my website, the NinjaPastor.com. Click on the banner at the bottom. and It'll explain all about it. There's videos and all kinds of free stuff and, and they don't troll you or anything like that. And then if you click on that, you get a free, and you buy, you get a free, uh, free month, I and mean, you cancel anytime. Then the folks, good folks, good American heroes over at uh, thelogox.com, thelogox.com. If you're a wood person, cut wood or split wood or whatever you do in in the woods, and, and you, you're doing it, you know, right now, uh, spring, summer, uh, that's your time to be cutting wood, and you should be finding your wood sources and then cutting them and uh, getting them all ready, and that's that's kind of how you do it. So. Um, logox.com. If you type in The Ninja Pastor in the checkout uh, and you buy the three-in-one, you will absolutely get $25 right off the top. Boom. Then the other thing is Hilo LX. Everybody sends me cool messages about that. I send them a two-minute video. It's pretty amazing. It is a wearable, life-saving device, uh, life-monitoring device. And uh, I couldn't be more excited about the technology there. It's just fascinating. So if you want any more information about any of that stuff, the the ninjapastor.com, get a hold of me and I will be, um, I'll be happy to, uh, happy to get you all the information that you need. Great people in all these organizations. Absolutely. So what would motivate, uh, somebody asked me the other day, what would motivate you to do a radio show? Uh, and I realized maybe I didn't answer this. Maybe this is just something that, uh, that I haven't. I I just haven't ever thought of before. And one of the reasons why is because quite frankly, I'm just going to tell you every radio and TV interview I ever did uh, when I was doing my book tour, excellence kill the church, how mediocrity is destroying America. It's at the website, it's on Amazon, whatever. Um, Every interview I ever did, they said, you know, you need your own radio show. And I said, okay. And I would laugh at them and go on and do another radio interview or a TV or whatever. Um, and, but they kept saying it. And so finally I said, you know what, maybe I will. So I looked in different things. My buddy, Jerry helped me kind of cull down the different platforms that I would look at. And, and, uh, so we did a year at another, uh, network. And then now we're over here, uh, past, I think two or three years and we're excited about it. But one of the other great, great reasons I just love is I get to talk to people like the great Bill Fetter And I say that And a lot of people would say when I say something like the great Bill Federer, you know, they think, oh, you know, what is he uh, like? You know, when I say the great Andy Stump, that guy broke world records. He flew 18 miles in a wingsuit from 37000 feet, you know, up and up in the air above the earth. You can see the curve of the earth from there. But The reason why I call Bill Federer, William J. Federer, just one of the greatest historians and authors ever. The reason why I call him the great Bill Federer, and he's very humble. He would never he would say, oh, I pick a different name. Uh, but, uh, the fact of the matter is, is, is because look, history is so critical. It's so critical to everything that we do, but history in and of itself is not the only critical thing. The, the other critical thing, the really, really important thing you have to understand history. You have to understand it. You have to get what is happening, uh, at the time, the cultural context, which Bill is a master of. And then you've got to understand, what does it mean for us today? How does it tie with us today? And so I'm very, very pleased to welcome to our show, again, a great friend of the show, William J. Federer, Bill Federer. Bill, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you back.
0: Well, it's great to be with you. And I heard someone say, a big shot's just a little shot away from home. (laughs) So um, my wife reminds me that uh, I'm a little shot. But anyway, it's uh, great to be with you.
2: Well, tell me, you are a uh, very prolific writer. I don't know how with your travel schedule and all that you do. I don't know how uh, you, you do what you do. And, and I asked David Barton that one time, and I had the opportunity to protect him when I was still doing executive protection. And it's the it was the first time I'd been around him. And I, knew, I understand how he does it. He, in between every little, even if there's a three-minute break between what he's just done or what he's about to do, let me tell you, he is working. And I presume that you're probably very much the same way. But um, what motivated you to write this book? Who is the king in America?
0: Right. Well, uh, the, uh, so for several years, I've written books on world history. One of them is called Change to Chains. Uh, another is called Rise of the Tyrant. But uh, I decided to research every single civilization that has ever existed on the planet. And began with the very first uh, Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley. That was the beginning of writing around 3300 B.C. And so the secular history books uh, even acknowledge the first novel ever written was uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. And um, around 2250 B.C. But the story of Gilgamesh was the king of Uruk in the... Uh, Mesopotamia Valley and he's going on this long journey to meet this old guy who survived a global flood and uh, this guy had made a boat and put tar and pitch and and filled it with animals and repopulated the world this was written a thousand years before Moses and uh and so over 150 ancient civilizations have flood stories and flood legends in their ancient past but i would read through all these different kingdoms and so egyptian hieroglyphics were invented around 3000 bc Uh, chinese characters were invented by the yellow emperor around 2600 bc on bamboo animal books and uh and so you think of it three or four thousand bc is when writing was invented and we're around 2080 so Uh, That's around 6,000 years of recorded history, and 6,000 years is not that long. It's only 60 people living 100 years each back to back. We've all met someone who's lived 100 years, maybe a grandmother. We're talking 60 grandmothers, and you're all the way back to the beginning of recorded human civilization. And so, uh, to me, I found that fascinating. But the second thing is, okay, now that we've established we have 6,000 years of records, what do the records show? What's the most common form of government? Well, uh, from Nimrod Tower of Babel to the Egyptian pharaohs to the Chinese emperors and the Indian Maharajas. Raja means king. Maha means great. uh, To the kings of Mesopotamia. uh, It's kings. The most common form of government is a king. And like that Nautilus shell that does a little circle, then it gets a little bit bigger, and then every time it goes around, it gets a little bigger, it goes around, it gets a little bigger, bigger. Um, that's a geometric ratio of expansion. It's actually called the golden ratio, or the Fibonacci sequence, where every number uh, is equal to the previous number plus it is the next number. And then that number plus the previous number equals the next number, and it keeps getting a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Uh, and so uh, you, you look at these kingdoms, and as I mentioned, they keep getting bigger. And so uh, from again, that Nimrod Tower of Babel and Cyrus of Persia had the biggest empire. And then Alexander the Great had the biggest empire. And then Attila the Hun had the biggest one. And then the uh, the Muslim Sultan had an empire that went from the Persian Gulf all the way to the Atlantic. and. And then you got uh, Genghis Khan, conquers from Korea to Hungary, kills 30 million people, but he had the largest empire. And then you have the maritime empires of Portugal and Spain, and then, you know, France, but ultimately England had the largest empire on the planet. Now, clearly there's a global goal in mind, uh, that if this, uh, you know, it's like every reiteration, every generation or so, it comes back, it's like somebody's trying to rebuild the Tower of Babel and you get your new version of a Nimrod. And um, uh, But each reiteration, it, gets, it wants to go to a bigger scale than the previous one. And But when America's founders broke away from the King of England, they decided to set up a government as far away from a king as possible. And they flipped it and made the people the king. And so a republic is the people or king ruling through representatives, right? So the REP in the word republic is the same R-E-P in the word representative. So a republican form of government is representative. In other words, the people are the king ruling through representatives we pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which is you're basically pledging allegiance to you being the king and um now a democracy is the people are king ruling directly and so a democracy only ever worked on a city-wide level where everybody could be there every day and if you didn't show up for a couple days you were called an idiotus an idiot you didn't know what was going on so a republic is you take care of your family and your farm and you have someone in your place that goes to the market every day and talks politics. They're your representative. Well, where did America's founders get this idea? And so this is where it gets interesting. They did look back to the Roman Republic from from around 500 B.C. up until Julius Caesar, uh, around 45 B.C., uh, Rome had 600 senators. And they would make the decisions and... Um, It worked uh, until Julius Caesar found a way to usurp power and make himself dictator for life. And uh, he started the cult of Julius Caesar, made his general, Mark Anthony, his high priest. He makes himself a god. And um, anyway, so the Roman Republic ended and turned into a Roman Empire. Uh, America's founders looked back to the Athenian democracy. And so he had these different city-states. They would experiment with different governments, and Athens is the one we look to. And so they had a king named Draco in Athens. And every day he'd rule by his whims and caprices. Finally, the people said, look, king, at least write these things down so we have some structure to our lives. And so he did. He wrote them down. It was the first written laws in Athens. But he had the death penalty for every other thing. So they were called Draconian laws. They're very, very harsh laws. Um, Anyway, uh, Athens had this democracy until... Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, uh, it, around 350 B.C., um, he began to conquer and used money from Ampiphilus, uh used money to bribe citizens of Athens to betray their own city. And so they'd get together mm-hmm. in the market and they'd say, hey, we got to get our city strengthened. we got to get our defenses. Uh, Philip's conquering. And these paid propagandist traders would stand up in the market and say, well, wait a second, let's not get carried away. I I hear Philip's not such a bad guy. I hear that he's not conquering these cities. He's liberating them. And the people actually like him. And and they would gather around themselves what Lenin called useful idiots, people that believe the lying propaganda. (laughs) And it so confused Athens that when Philip marched up to the walls, they couldn't mount a unified defense. They open the gates. He comes in and takes over. And so it's called the fifth column. And why is that? Well, in your old-fashioned battle, you'd have two columns in the middle and then two flanking columns. And so altogether, there was four. But this fifth column is paid traders inside of the city you're trying to conquer. And um, anyway, so Athens ended up uh, having their experiment of self-government end, and Philip took over, and then his son Alexander the Great took over, and then you had the Roman emperors took over, and the Byzantine emperors, and the Muslim sultans, and uh, for, uh, Athens didn't get its independence again, right, until after World War One, and then they got conquered again, World War Two, they didn't get their independence, but then they did, and they joined the EU, and then they got in debt, and now Athens and the people of Greece don't decide their fate anymore they're controlled by the by the debt they're in and so a people ruling themselves in actuality is a rare occurrence in world history they either do a good job and it becomes prosperous and it becomes an apple for the picking of some dictator or uh they do a good job and it grows so big that the politics starts to take play and you got some Julius Caesar that founds a way to usurp the politics until he usurps power and becomes a dictator. But the rubber band always wants to snap back into the hands of one person. Uh, Why is that? Well, that's because it's in our human DNA. I think it goes back to the fall in the garden. And that's when selfishness got spliced into the human DNA. So you put some babies in a playpen, one will take the rattle from the others. You put some kids on a playground, one of them is the bully hogging the ball. You put some junior high girls in a clique and one of them is the diva (laughs) you put some people in the woods one of them is the indian chief you put the people in an inner city one of them is a gang leader and all a king is in a sense is a glorified gang leader and it's a hierarchical system where if you are friends with the king you're more equal if you are not friends with the king you are less equal and if you are an enemy of the king you're a slave or you're dead it's called treason and so that's the struct the normal structure for society around the world is this pyramid structure. And whether it's the Incan emperor or the Hawaii's King Kamehameha's or the Aztec Mexico's uh, Montezuma or the African chieftains or the king of Spain, France and England or the czar of Russia, Ivan the Terrible, it's this same uh, structure. The king's at the top and the uh, supporters, right, his or scribes and so forth are under him. And then he has his army under them to enforce his will. And then finally at the bottom, you have the slaves. And, um, and so the first instance in recorded history of a nation ruling themselves without a king, believe it or not, was ancient Israel. Hmm. And I wrote a whole bunch about it in my book. Um, and so around 1400 BC is when Israel comes out of Egypt and they come into the promised land. And for the first 400 years, they do not have a king. Uh, the whole rest of the world was 2,000 years of Egyptian pharaohs, 5,000 years of Chinese emperors, Indian maharajas, kings of Og and Bashan, and so forth. The whole rest of the world's kings. And you have Israel come out of 400 years of slavery, and they most, they, <laughs> and on all accounts, they should just be this mob, but instead, they have the most unique form of government. Uh, that the planet has ever seen and it's a complete system they didn't like experiment with something for a little while and try something else no and um, and so uh, this structure where there's a king where you're friends with the king you're more equal you're not friends with the king you're less equal in Israel they didn't have a king there was no royal family to butter up next to and the law specifically says there is no respect of persons in judgment rich or poor everyone is to be treated the same male female made in the image of the Creator This is the beginning of the concept of equality on planet earth, that everyone you see is equal to you. There's no royal family to butter up next to There's no caste system that you were born into and stuck. There's no, your worth is dependent on your utility, your usefulness to society. No, you're worth something because you're made in the image of the creator. Uh, Just an amazing system. And then um, how am I doing time-wise? I don't wanna overlap with rape. Can can I ask you just
2: one quick question? When when you're sitting now, do you, when you're sitting down and you're going through all of this information, I mean, this is folks, you're, you're getting a master's class in real history, not hashtag fake history, but real history of the world from Bill Federer. And he's authored this incredible book, uh, who is the king? And I'll have to come find you sometime and get you to sign my copy. Who is the king in America? And who are the counselors to the king? Folks, you're getting, this is, this is unreal. It's, it's just an unreal amount of truth and actual accurate history. But I'm wondering, Bill, when you're sitting down and you're writing a book, is, is your office just totally full of books and you've probably got 20 panels open on the internet and, you know, how do you do this? How does this process, because folks, I don't know if you've ever read any of Bill's books, uh, but the footnotes are almost as long as the uh, as the book. I mean, it is incredible. It's a it's a it's really a reading list. What we should be reading as Americans because we're we're woefully undereducated. Uh, well, we're not undereducated. We're just miseducated, I guess, or you know, improperly educated. Because the public school system. Wouldn't it be great if we could hear this? Uh, in the schools I think this ought to be a textbook just what I hear so far but how do you uh, how do you do it I'm just curious just a quick look into and then you get back to telling us the story because I'm fascinated by it and even if I'm the only one fascinated by it it's worth it but uh, but I have to I just am curious I wrote a book and I'm writing two now and there's books everywhere there's there's stuff everywhere and I I just wonder how you do it because there's so many facts
0: oh well uh, just from reading history for so long it's like you put the metadata in and, uh, mm-hmm. in your brain, and then uh, you know the NSA is collecting metadata on everybody. In other words they're collecting mm-hmm. every purchase you do with your credit card every website that you visit, every search that you do on google they're they're building a profile and then they run these algorithms that detect patterns and then they try to predict what you're going to do next and uh it's sort of scary um but i use that analogy to say well you know you read enough history you begin to in, in a sense run an algorithm you begin to see patterns and uh The pattern is that power wants to concentrate. I didn't realize until I studied that there's philosophies of history. You go, philosophy of history? Yeah, the Judeo-Christian is linear. There's a beginning point and an ending point. There's prophecies made, prophecies fulfilled. There's creation, and there's the day of judgment. And everything's moving toward this eventual day, uh, and it sort of colors your, your view of history. There's the animist view of history. Animism is your basic paganism, right? And, uh, you know, you believe the woods are filled full of spirits, or the jungles are filled full of spirits, or whatever. And they constantly have to be appeased, and all the little spirits and gods and so forth. And um, the animist view of history is the circle of life. That everything's just continuing. Another one's born to carry on the circle of life. You know that uh, Lion King song? And then there's the Marxist view of history, which is everything is a class struggle. And they try to reinterpret it all as it's oh, always the rich, opposing the poor. And then there's the Islamic view of history, which you can change to spread Islam. So Muhammad swapped out Isaac for Ishmael. And he has the names of Noah and Adam and David and Jesus, but he changes up their stories. To their prophets of all, the people don't accept the prophet. The people get judged. So Muhammad sort of builds a case for himself. Um, but uh, so in Islam, if they discover some artifact that the Jews had a temple, what do they do? Destroy the artifact. <laughs> uh, if there's something that proves the Jews might have a claim to the Holy Land, what do they want to do? Destroy the the, the historical evidence. They're, they're not into historical accuracy. They're into their agenda. And if the history can help their agenda, fine. But if it contradicts their agenda, destroy it. Uh, but then mm-hmm. there's that nihilist view of history. And nihilism is this uh, philosophy that there's no purpose to anything. Everything is just a random nonsense chance. And that's the way they teach it in schools, in public schools. Mm-hmm. That's why it's boring, because it's a bunch of mm-hmm. dates and numbers and facts and figures, and there's no connection between any of them, and it's just boring. Mm-hmm. And our minds don't remember stuff like that. So if, if I were to drop a bucket of 26 letters in front of a kid and say, memorize them, He'd like to pull up an X and an L, and no, we teach the kid this nice little song A B C D E F G, and then they begin to plug in the sounds, and then it, they can remember. So our, our our mind remembers by associations, like a choo choo train. And if you can hook one train car onto the next, onto the next, onto the next, you just remember the the line. You know, how do people remember lines in plays if they're going to be in a play? Well, they they know the line before it, and then the line after it. And so your mind. And so when you switch from the nihilist view of history to the linear Judeo-Christian view of history, it's like turning the corner on a cornfield and you see the rows line up,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? The cornfield from one point of view is just randomly thrown out corn. It's just scattered. And then the same cornfield, you look at it from another angle and you see these nice, neat rows. Like, wait a second, this didn't happen by accident. Some farmer got out there with his tractor. And so you look at history from the nihilist point of view. It's a bunch of disjointed dates and numbers and facts and big deal. Then you see it from a providential. It's he like, hey, God had a plan. And the plan is that freedom can spread so that people can be all that God can make them to be and the gospel can spread. And, and, um, and so that's the, the attitude that I have toward history, and um, it, it makes sense to me.
2: That's awesome. It's awesome. So, t- so take me, uh, real. I just want to ask one real quick question about Israel. So you said Israel was the first uh, country to have a king. Did I write that down right?
0: First country not to have a king.
2: Not to have a king. Boy, I'm glad I asked again. So why didn't they have a king? I think it's important for our, our uh, why, why wouldn't they want a king? Everybody else had a king. Why wouldn't they want one?
0: Right, so Moses comes out of Egypt and comes into the Promised Land, and for 400 years there is no king, and they're ruled by something called the law. And the law says there is no respect of persons in judgment. Everyone's to be treated the same, male, female, made in the image of the Creator. Even the stranger living amongst you is under the same law that you're under. This was the beginning of the idea that every human is equal, not just Israelites. So we're not talking Sharia Islamic law where the non-Muslim has no rights Uh, compared to a Muslim in front of a Sharia court. In Israel, the stranger was under the same law that the the Jews were under. Uh, They were under no compulsion to convert and become a Jew. And so Israel is the beginning of the concept of equality. Israel is the first place on the planet where there's private land ownership. You see, wherever there's a king, you never Mm -hmm. really own the land, right? It's always conditional of you staying on the nice side of the king right? You do what he says, he gives you a nice estate. You don't do what he says, he takes away the land and kills you. (laughs) And so in Israel, the land was permanently titled to the families. If they got in a pinch and had to sell it every 50 years, the land reverted back to the family. This system prevented a dictator from gradually gathering up all the land and putting the people back into slavery. Now, if you own land, you can accumulate stuff, The Bible called that being blessed. Karl Marx called it being a capitalist. (laughs) You got stuff. You worked hard. You saved it, right? And so they call it the promised land because the people actually got the title to own the land. Israel was the first nation with no police. Everyone was taught the law. Everyone enforced the law. It was like everybody was deputized right? We have a little remnant of that today where you, you know, you got some mom and she's watching a bunch of kids. And even if they're not her own kids, she'll go over to that one kid and okay, you don't do this, you don't do this. So she has no qualms about correcting other kids. And that was the way it was in the whole society. Everybody helped enforce the law. Israel was the first nation with no standing army. You have a king, he has an army to enforce his will. In Israel, every man was in the militia and armed. And ready at a moment's notice to defend his family and his community, Israel was the first nation with no prisons. So in huh. Egypt, Joseph Joseph was wasting away in prison for several years. Remember that. Well, in Israel, yeah. the law says uh, the law says when a crime is committed. You have the trial immediately. You get the person that committed it. You get the elders of the city together. You hear the evidence, and you have the trial right then and there. Of course, there's a city mm-hmm. of refuge that the guy can run away to, it to await a trial, right? But it was an immediate thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Israel was the first nation with a bureaucracy-free welfare system. So in Egypt, people were selling their souls to the Pharaoh for a handout of grain. In Israel, the law says... When you harvested your field, you left the gleanings for the poor people to pick through (laughs) this way, the poor were taken care of on a on a cellular level, so to speak, everybody harvested and everybody left the gleanings. And so the poor were taken care of without some political leader collecting everything and doling it back out to those who can help them stay in power. Right the dilemma is those that are in power want to stay in power, and every decision they make is going to be in favor of keeping them in power uh, but in israel uh the, they didn't have that centralized distribution system it was every single family when they harvested they left the gleanings for the poor um mm-hmm. and then Israel was uh, the first nation that could read I found this really mm-hmm. interesting so when the yeah. when the children of Israel were coming were coming into the promised land uh in the Mesopotamian valley and uh That area, they were using the Akkadian language, A K K A D I A N, Akkadian, and that was comes out of Assyria, and uh, that was the lingua franca. That was the language they all spoke, and they used cuneiform characters. They had fifteen hundred cuneiform characters, and it was only for kings and scribes. Writing was invented as an accounting method for kings to keep track of everything they owned. So the first invention ever was the plow, right? The Bible says Cain was a tiller of the soil. And then people started hitting each other with it and then they turned into weapons and then people gravitated together for protection. And when you get people together, something happens. Someone ends up being a better fighter than the rest. And everybody says, Hey, you be our captain. And it's great because the guy helps you to fight off these people trying to kill you and y'all you live. But then this person has kids and grandkids who claim to be extra special. That's their dad's the one that did everything. And they end up being this elite class, and it turns into a hereditary monarchy. And you're back to a king who claims to own everything. And if you're friends with the king, you're more equal. You're not friends with the king, you're less equal. Anyway, so these kings wanted to count everything they owned. And in China, the kings, the emperors, had developed a way of counting with knots in ropes. So you'd have a bunch of little ropes hanging down with knots, and that would show them how is in the warehouses and so forth. In Sumeria, they developed a way of accounting with uh, abacus, little rods and beads that would slide back and forth. And then they turned, uh, they had tokens in dishes. So you'd have some warehouses, how much are in the warehouse, well, always a little dish in front with little tokens in it. And, and so then they started making markings in the tokens. Have you ever tallied where you draw the lines? One, two, three, four, and then a line across for five. You know, right, right, right. right. Um, that 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 was the beginning of writing. It was an accounting method for kings to keep track of everything they own. They own. Then it kept track of their decrees and their genealogies, mm-hmm. tracing themselves back to that you know captain, that king that that originally founded it, and some astrology, star stuff, um, because once they. Became an agricultural society. They needed to keep track of the seasons. uh, And so they would set up immovable objects that would keep track of the stars. And it would be this hidden knowledge because they could predict when the seasons were going to start and so forth. Um, But uh, anyway, so writing was a method for kings to keep track of what they owned. The common people didn't have anything to own and they didn't make decrees or have genius. So the common people did not read. And a matter of fact, they weren't allowed to read. In Egypt, they had. 3,000 hieroglyphic characters. And it was only for the pharaohs and the scribes. It was the scribes' secret knowledge. And they kept the hieroglyphs complicated on purpose as job security. They were needed to interpret these. And from a little kid to the old man, I mean, they'd spend their whole life learning all these complicated hieroglyphs. China had 10,000 characters just for court records. And so when Moses came down the mountain, he did not just have the law. He had the law on a 22-character alphabet. It was so easy to learn. Children could learn how to read. No longer was it, it this secret knowledge that only the scribes had. Kids could learn it. It unlocked knowledge. And then once you could have everyone have knowledge, then they can pass along thoughts and ideas. They can write them down, right? And so Israel is the first nation that we have record of that everyone could read. And so they had the law and they could all read so they could maintain their freedoms. And, uh, but then Israel got to choose their own leaders. And so this is the point that I was making and I'm making in my book that the most common form of government is the top down and Israel is a bottom up. So Moses spake unto the children of Israel, Deuteronomy chapter one, he said, how can I alone bear your burden? Take you wise men and understanding and known among your tribes and bring them to me. And I'll recognize them as your leaders. This was an election process within the tribes. And so Israel maintained the structure of a family with the father. And then the elder fathers would get together and they would be the elders of a little village. And then the village would pick somebody who is responsible, right, uh, 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 understanding and, and uh, like um you know, knows was successful in in running his affairs, and they say, okay, you represent us to our tribe, our tribal meeting, and then the tribal meetings they would pick somebody to go to Jerusalem to sit in the Sanhedrin, which was the Hebrew Senate, so to speak, and um, and so this was their structure for 400 years. It was a bottom up form of government rather than a top down form of government, and it worked as long as the priests taught it. And the dilemma is that everybody has sin, So every kid born with this sinful nature. Imagine if every computer you buy is preloaded with a virus and you have to immediately take it over to the geek squad desk and have them clean off the virus. It's like every, every kid is born preloaded with this virus of selfishness. And they would take the kid to the Levite priest and say, recode him and the priest would say okay kid you want to steal don't steal you want to lie don't lie you want to commit adultery don't commit adultery god's watching gonna hold you accountable and so the system in israel worked as long as the priest taught it uh and so it's a spectrum of power one side is total government the other side is no government total government you get a king who controls everybody's lives no government is anarchy no government unless the people have internal morals It's like everybody has a behavioral app on their phone (laughs) so instead of a gps telling you where to turn it tells you how to act and what to say and be nice to people and so forth and so what uh so everybody as long as they're following this internal moral law there there's order without a king but wait a second what would motivate you to follow an internal moral what would cause you to deny yielding to a selfish temptation israel introduced the key ingredient, a God who is watching everyone. He wants you to be fair and he will hold you accountable in the future. So you're about to steal. Nobody's around. You know, you can get away with it. And then you think God is watching me. He wants me to be fair. He's going to hold me accountable. Uh, maybe I should hesitate stealing. And it creates something in your head called a conscience. If everybody in the country believes God's watching me, he wants me to be fair, he's going to hold me accountable, everybody is motivated to follow these internal morals, and you can have complete order in society without any policemen following everybody around. Maximum liberty. Now, it only works with the God of the Bible. An Islamic Allah God says there's an infidel woman, nobody's around, you can rape her, it's okay. You can lie to this infidel, steal this infidel. Only the God of the Bible says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so the system of government we have in Israel and in America, ancient Israel, is you take the power of a king and you separate it, and you put it in the hands of the people. But wait a second, uh, it's going to be chaos unless the people have these internal morals. But wait a second, why would you follow these internal morals, this God of the Bible? And it's sort of like the electricity that causes the, the the app to work is this knowledge of God. So when we say we're one nation under God, it's not just a nice little thing. The structure of our government is dependent on us being aware that we're underneath of this God of the Bible. If you get rid of this God, then all you have left is rules. Why? Follow them. Some mm-hmm. will out of habit or social acceptance. Others are going to say, forget this if there's no God, there's no afterlife, this life is all there is nobody's watching me and I have an opportunity to steal and benefit myself. Why not? And so people are going to yield to that selfish nature. It's like a lead weight on a fishing line It's going to hit the the bottom of the lake. And they're going to say, Okay, I'm going to start robbing and stealing and smashing windows and setting buildings on fire and having mobs on the street lawlessness and chaos. And then everybody's going to say, we need somebody to come along and fix this mess. And that's when somebody comes along, promises to fix it. and People surrender a little freedom to this person, a little bit more freedom, a little bit more freedom until finally they wake up and realize that they just gave up all their freedom. And then powers concentrated back into the hands of one individual. And so the rubber band snaps back. And so in Israel's case, what happened? Uh, There's a story of Eli, the high priest, his own sons are sleeping with women in the tent of meeting. Right, this is the very tent with the Ark of the Covenant, and the high priest's mm-hmm. own sons are sleeping with women there. Hello? Uh, he's not teaching the law to his own kids, much less to the country. And then there's mm-hmm. a story of a Levite with a silver graven image in the house of a guy named Micah, and the tribe of Dan comes along. And takes a silver graven image and takes the priest and they say, hey, you can be a priest for the whole tribe of Dan. Isn't that nice? And you're scratching your head thinking, what's this Levite priest doing with a silver graven image? Isn't that one of the commandments? You're not supposed to have those? Shows the priests are no longer living the law, much less teaching it. And then there's a terrible story of a Levite with a concubine. And so the law says the Levite is to marry a virgin of his own tribe. Here he is with a woman he's not even married to shows he's not following the law story goes on he's traveling he's at somebody's house the house is surrounded by sodomites uh that that behavior appears at the very last stages of a people ruling themselves it's an abandonment to uh unrestrained passions and so they're banging on the door this levite is so hard-hearted he shoves the poor concubine girl out the door she gets raped and dies He comes out the next day chops her body in 12 pieces sends it to the 12 tribes they all get together and kill the sodomites and by the time you're grossed out You read this line that says, every man did what was right in their own eyes. Why did they all do what was right in their own eyes? Because the priests had stopped teaching them what was right in the Lord's eyes. The priests stopped recoding every generation. The priests fell fell down on the job. And so it turned into this chaos. The people go to Samuel the prophet, and they say, this is not working anymore. We want to be like all the other countries. We want a king. Samuel cries, And the Lord tells him, they did not reject you. They rejected me, but I should not reign over them. So uh, Samuel tells him, okay, you'll get a king, but he's going to take away your best land, give it to his favorites, wealth redistribution. He's going to take your daughters, make them be cooks, take your sons, make them run before his chariots. He's going to institute a top-down form of government rather than a bottom-up form of government. It's a polarity change. And um, the people say, we don't care. We want them anyway, so they get King Saul. And sure enough, that's what happens. There's an interesting story. Uh, Am I doing okay time-wise? Yep, you're perfect. Perfect, perfect. Um, So the story is that King Saul is pouting that his son Jonathan made a league with David. And he says, nobody cares about me. And there's a guy named Doeg the Edomite. And he says to Saul, I care about you. I just happened to be at a city called Nob and the priests were there and they gave bread to David and they gave the sword of Goliath to David. And Saul says, Hmm, bring those priests here. When they get there, he turns to his men and says, kill them." The men hesitate. And Doeg the Edomite says, King, I'll kill him. And he goes and kills them all. What just happened? Israel had been a republic where each individual citizen is accountable to God to follow the law. The law says you need two or more witnesses before you condemn somebody to death. There's only one witness, Doeg. And so these soldiers are like, wait a second, we're accountable to follow this law. We we have a conscience. We're hesitating to do this act. Um, And uh, Doeg says, king, I'm going to surrender my conscience to you. You tell me to kill, I'll kill. You see, kings want yes men. They don't want you to, to you know, labor over whether or not something's moral or not. They just want you to obey them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they want the king, a dictator king wants you to give up your deeply held religious convictions. He wants you to give up your common sense. There was a prime minister in China back in the you know, second century, and he was wanting to usurp power, and so he brings a deer into the court. And he, in front of all the generals, he says, this is a horse. And the generals look at him, and they go, no, that's a deer. And so he arranges for that general to get killed. Another general, no, that's a deer. And he gets him killed. Finally, the generals catch on. And they go, okay, it's a horse. It's a horse. <laughs> the deer's a horse. And so... This way, the, the prime minister knew who was loyal to him because they were denying their common sense and saying, okay, Kate, whatever you, prime minister, whatever you tell us to believe, we'll believe. And um, he ended up having a coup, but then he ended up getting killed. But... And so let's say you have somebody running for president and maybe they're speaking at Saddleback Church and they're telling the audience, uh, I'm in favor of marriage being a man and a woman. It's sacred. God's in the mix. And then shortly after he gets in, he decides that marriage is between a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, and pushing the transgendered agenda. And if you don't flip on a dime and turn with him, he sends his Department of Justice in to persecute you and to mm-hmm. punish your state and to do investigations and audits and, and make you know, have lawsuits that your cake business or your photography or your wedding chapel has to be used. And it's like, wait a second. He's forcing you to give up your deeply held religious convictions. Why? Because this is what a dictator wants. Like the Nebuchadnezzar, he had him put this statue up, and he says, okay, when you hear these trumpets blow, bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to bow down. You know, We're not going to give up our deeply held religious convictions. You know, okay, you get thrown in the fire, and, and God miraculously saved him. But um, anyway, so we see that um, America's founders didn't like King George Third. They wanted to set up a government where the people were king. They got some ideas from ancient Rome, ancient Greece, but ultimately ancient Israel, and they uh, instituted it. <clears throat> and um, so if we're looking at world history, the situation in Europe prior to America being founded is key to understanding it. Um, but that will take me another five minutes. I don't know if I have enough time. You have all the time you need. I keep going. What?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. This is what you're reminding me of is uh, how all this domestic unrest, all this stuff is created because, you know, you've got the community organizer, you've got labor organizers, you get all these people, people doing all these things. Just like uh, what Axelrod said on uh, on NPR, we there's in Chicago, there's an old tradition of throwing a brick through your own campaign office window and then calling a press conference and say you've been attacked. Well, that's what Muslims do. That's what Islam does. That's what uh, former President Barack Hussein Obama did. Uh, he would say all these things and then comes out later on. Mm, maybe not. Maybe we're maybe I didn't. You know. Well, he would never go back on what he said. He would just talk until you forgot what the question was. So, yeah, so bringing I mean, us forward yeah. to modern times, I mean, they're using ancient tactics to defeat us again.
0: Right. So anybody can go back. Uh, Obama wanted to get us into a war with um, Assad in Syria. And lo and behold, uh, Saudi Arabia was supplying gas to the ISIS rebels to kill the Christians so that they could try to blame it on Assad because they wanted to get some incident that they could blame on Assad to be used as, as an excuse for us to go in and knock them off because they wanna set up their caliphate, their Islamic State, and they gotta knock off all these Muslim presidents and kings so they can have their US, USA of Islam, so to speak. And, uh, and then it comes out that it really wasn't Assad gassing his own people. I mean, why would he gas his own people? Um, and it was the Saudi Arabia that was, f- that was supporting and, f- and funneling all this to the ISIS Muslim rebels so they could kill it, so they could blame it on Assad. The Palestinians mm. would do the same thing. Uh, they would, um, you know, uh, attack the, uh, the Jews in uh, Israel and uh, they would even shoot some of their own people in the back while they're shooting at the jews the next day the headlines run oh jews and palestinians class uh, 12 palestinians dead everybody assumes that the jews killed them and it gets all this international pressure on israel you're terrible israel right when, when they did it and um it was uh this uh, concept that uh, politicians use it's called psychological projection where the attacker blames the victim it's called blame shifting even Karl Marx says, accuse others what you're guilty of. And so this is a political tactic. So if you have a really intolerant candidate, they will accuse their opponent of being intolerant. And what happens? All the news media looks at the opponent and says, oh, you must be intolerant. This guy has got to say, no, no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not. Look, look. and he has to try to all all this energy to come clean. And finally, when they realize he really didn't do anything wrong, they, they look at the accuser, and he says, no, no, you're the one that's guilty of it. and By that time, the, the public is worn out on the issue, and they say, oh, you can't trust them all, and, and you get a pass. And so it's, a, and it's an effective strategy. I think every single time you see news headlines, uh, think of psychological projection. Think of the people that are throwing out the accusation. Look at them. And so Muslims are very good at this. They'll come into a very tolerant community. In other words, they wouldn't even be there if the community wasn't tolerant. But once they get in there, they'll accuse their host of being intolerant. They'll whip themselves into a frenzy, and they'll want to have lawsuits and violence and everything and say, well, you provoked mm-hmm. us. It's your fault. And mm-hmm. um, and we know it's they're the ones guilty of intolerance because wherever they take over, they outlaw <laughs> all the other religions and beliefs and dress of women and everything, you know. Um so they're the intolerant ones, but they have the audacity to accuse others of being intolerant.
2: So but, uh, where do you see so going like I look back uh at I wasn't a huge fan of George W. Bush, uh 40 I just wasn't a huge fan of his. I, I wasn't anti, I wasn't working against him. Um I thought there were some some good things he did and, and some good ways, you know, I could tell he loved the troops, I could tell he loves America. But then when Barack Hussein Obama became president, you started to see all of these. Well, you know, in fairness, Bill, even before that, we saw, well, we had the written and recorded word. We had his audio book. We had his printed book. So we could listen ostensibly. If you believe that Barack Hussein Obama wrote those books himself, uh, then you could read those and, or you could listen to the audio book to his own voice. And you could say, wow, this guy's really, really trouble. What in the world? This this guy doesn't have a chance to become president of the United States. Why in the world are the Democrats putting this guy forward? Well, then we started to see. How do you think it it was that so much of America and and sadly even some air quotes conservatives voted for that guy with such a sketchy, sketchy? I mean, everything was hidden. His grades were hidden. You know, any of his any of his college stuff. You really couldn't. You know, there there were so few. That went to college with him that even know who he was, but he used this so effectively. But I guess then again, you got the press on your side because they've been they've been working this out, ready to put this into place for so many years. That here we go. You know, they the team is the team is ready, they're practiced, they're committed. They're not like conservatives. Conservatives, we you know, we have many enemies. The left has one enemy, us. They want to defeat us no matter what, and they can unite no matter what. We just don't seem to have that same skill set, and and I'll be frank with you. I I don't know how to get it. Your books, I think, are, uh, as I've said before, a master's class on history and why you've got to know this history, and kids have to know this history because kids aren't being taught how to think, Bill. They're being taught what to think. So, I, I don't know. You know, obviously, discrediting the Bible, you know, that's a, a first order of business because my goodness, that tells people when they're doing wrong. You know, that gives them conscience and that makes us, you know, subject to the God of the Bible. Yeah, much like, you know, why the power grab that was going on, uh, you know, during Christ's last few weeks on earth, it's, you know, they don't want this guy having more power and influence than they do i just don't know how to get through to these people you're a phenomenal communicator and writer you know maybe you have some ideas on how to get through to these people
0: um well i guess through programs like yours and in education but um i will bring up that the you, you touched on it um if our founders took the power of a king and separated it what makes The separated power reconcentrate. It's crises. And so uh, Washington, in his farewell address, warned. And he said, uh, disorders and miseries will incline the minds of men to seek security in the absolute power of an individual. So if you have these crises, people are going to let power reconcentrate. And then he goes on, Washington's farewell address, 1796. He says, usurpation. That's doing something you're not authorized to do, but people let you get away with it. So usurpation though, in one instance is the instrument of good. It is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. So it was good that Lincoln wanted to end slavery and we're happy. Slavery's gone. Thank God it was good. But in the process of it, a lot of rights went from the states to the federal government, right? They were concentrated. It was good that Franklin Roosevelt wanted to end the depression, but he concentrates power with his new deal programs. And it was good that Lyndon Johnson wanted to end poverty, but he concentrated power into the federal government with his great society welfare programs, right? And then it was good that President Bush wanted to make sure there's no more terrorist attacks, but he concentrates power with the NSA and the Patriot Act and the Homeland Security. And now every one of your emails and phone conversations and everything can be monitored by the federal government and so forth. And so Mm -hmm. we see that... um, You have people that are wanting to do good, but they're going about it uh, by taking and concentrating power. And Washington, in his farewell address, said whatever temporal benefit is gained is far outweighed by the permanent damage that it does. And so uh, when you have these issues, how do you bring about the change? The the change should be educating the people and having the people vote these things in and having it be a bottom-up change, not a, right. a judge in a courtroom or a president through an executive order or something else, a top down. And right. um, uh, anyway, so so crisis, in times of crisis, people at power concentrate. So here's a couple uh, people. Machiavelli, he lived 500 mm-hmm. years ago in Italy. Italy wasn't Italy 500 years ago. It was a bunch of city states, Venice, Genoa, Naples, Florence, Siena, and they all had armies and navies and fought. And Machiavelli thought, you know, if one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting. So he writes a book called The Prince, where he advocates the ends justifies the means. The Hmm. end of one prince controlling all of Italy is such a good end because it'll end the infighting that any means necessary to get there is justified, lie, cheat, steal. So if a prince conquers a city, they would hate him. But if the prince paid criminals to kill cows and burn barns and create crisis and terror, the people would cry out for help. The prince would come in and kill the very criminals he bribed. Nobody would know the better for it, and everyone would praise the prince as a hero. So it's good marketing. You create the need and fill it. You go around the back of the house and set it on fire, and then you go around the front of the house and sell them a fire extinguisher and they'll pay anything for it and thank you for being there. Right. So it's called Machiavellianism, where you create or capitalize on crises to consolidate control. Well, that influenced somebody named Hegel, H-E-G-E-L. Early 1800s, uh, Napoleon conquers Prussia, uh, one of the kingdoms in Germany. Uh, Napoleon conquers it so easy, the king says, we can't let that happen again. We need to strengthen the state. And so Hegel provided the philosophical underpinning he says uh the state is god walking on earth and hegel comes up with something called hegelian dialectics and it's a way to concentrate power and it's a triangle one corner is a thesis the opposite corner is an anti-thesis or antithesis and the top corner is a synthesis it sounds complicated but it's not in other words you start off at one corner and then you create the antithesis. You create a problem that's real bad, and then everybody's happy and relieved to settle for your answer that's half as bad. And that becomes the new thesis starting point. And then you create another problem that's real bad, and everybody's happy to settle for your answer that's half as bad. Then you create another problem that's real, and you keep doing this over and over until people gradually surrender each time a little bit more of their freedom until the rubber band goes uh, from the people and snaps back into the hands of a king. So Karl Marx applied Hegelian dialectics to politics and says, how do you create a problem that's real bad? You send in agitators, agent provocateurs, provoking agents. You send in community organizers, labor organizers. Their job is to create an antithesis, to create a problem that's real bad. And when there's blood in the streets and violence, everybody's willing to surrender their freedoms and then the power concentrates. So 45 countries fell to communism this way so these agitators would come in to a community and find the fault lines, the tension right under the surface, the grievances that people have, and would play upon them and stir them up and say, well, you want what they have. You've been treated bad. You know, follow me. We'll remedy it. And now it works best if the people are not Christian. Even Napoleon said, religion is what keeps the poor from murdering the rich. So if you have poor people and they've been wronged, they'll just forgive but if you get rid of Christianity, then you got raw human passion it says you've been wrong. Do you want what they have? Follow me. You'll get it. And so you'd stir them up, agitate them, community, organize them until there's violence. And then everybody surrenders their freedom uh, to somebody that promises to fix it. And you, you concentrate power. So they would organize the proletariat against the bourgeois, which is the working class against the business owners. They'd organize the blacks against the whites the Catholics against the Protestants, the Muslims against the Christians, the Hutus against the Tutsis in the Congo and Rwanda. I mean, they really don't care who the two sides are. They really don't care what the issues are. They just want a destabilizing crisis with random violence that's so bad everybody's justified allowing the government to take away guns. And so uh, the, um, this all inspires somebody named Saul Alinsky. He's in Chicago. He rides around with Al Capone's hit men. Frank Niddy, and so all he had to do was kill a few people, smash a few windows, and the whole neighborhood would freak out and submit to the mob and pay extortion protection money. So Saul Alinsky uh, applied this to politics. Hillary Clinton did her senior thesis at Wellesley College on Saul Alinsky. And President Obama was a community organizer with the Saul Linsky Group in Chicago. So Saul Linsky says the community organizer's job is to rub raw the resentments of the people of the community to create controversy rather than avoid it the community organizer must fan the flames of hostility to the point of overt expression for unless there is controversy the people are not motivated enough to act the community organizer must lead his forces into conflict And so this is the strategy that's been used in America. It's the intentional creating of crises. And so you got people like George Soros funneling money to groups that will create crises. Uh, I used to live a half an hour from Ferguson, and 99% of the people riding in Ferguson were not from Ferguson. They had advertised in the Chicago paper, join more, M-O-R-E, Missourians Organizing for Reform and Empowerment, and even mm-hmm. Snopes acknowledged they got $30 million from George Soros, and they would do trainings in liberal churches. And the local camera crews would come up to the door of the, of the liberal church saying, we want to record what's going on in here. They said, I'm sorry, you can't come in, can't come in. Well, shortly after that, they began to riot and smash windows and set buildings on fire and, and uh, hold hands across an interstate highway and stop traffic. I mean, poor mm-hmm. people don't get the idea of standing in front of traffic. It's like somebody is organizing this, and um, – And so after all the rioting, uh, the Department of Justice comes in to monitor the community to see if there's racism. And so they come into the police department. And I was talking to Ed Meese, former attorney general under Reagan. He says they come in and they take over the local police department. And now instead of the sheriff being accountable to the people who voted him in, he's afraid that he's going to be thrown in federal prison for some racial uh, crime. And so it's a polarity change from the top, from the bottom up. To the top down and so the same people are moved to baltimore it's a rent-a-mob and they mm-hmm. riot and then then and then move to other cities charlotte and milwaukee and all these riots and uh the president obama refused to condemn it and he rhetorically gave them you know a, a leash to go further do it and um and then you know uh, loretta lynch would whenever there's a riot she'd, she'd always side with the rioters and um uh, and then they would send in Al Sharpton and, and Jesse Jackson, who would help to, to um, uh, fan the flames there. And um, so this was the agenda. And it came this close to becoming uh, a big enough crisis. And what were they going to do? Uh, say, okay, uh, crisis is so bad. we got to disarm everybody. We're going to go house to house, collect everybody's guns. And... Um, You know, some people will say, No way, you're not going to take mine. They shoot back, and then they're going to swarm on them. It's going to be front page news and the news media, and they're going to go after them. Then everybody's going to say, Okay. And so so this was the agenda that they had been planning on doing, and it got sort of put on pause. um, But we're uh, waiting to see what's going to happen next. I I believe we've got a reprieve, but unless the people really wake up and really educate themselves, You know this is just gonna be a temporary reprieve. reprieve. So it's a critical time for people to to take serious and to educate ourselves. And that's why I put together the book, Who is the King in America and Who are the Consulars to the King? Um, In a quick ending note, uh, Who are the Consulars to the King? Well, uh, 70% of Americans identify themselves as Christian. 70% could turn any election. And since they're Christian, they're going to church at least every now and then which puts the pastors in America in a position of being counselors to the king, right? So the pastors have, the the people are the king, 70% are Christian, they're sitting in their pews, and so the pastors are talking to them. And you have two types of pastors. One says, stay asleep, the other says, wake up. And so I use the illustration from the movie, The Lord of the Rings. And there's a scene in the movie of a King Theodon And he has a spell cast on him, he's got gray hair, gray eyes, he's decrepit, he's all sort of, you know, curled up in his throne, and he's just out of it. And he has two consulars in this scene. One is this greasy, ugly guy named Wormtongue, and he's whispering in the king's ear, saying, stay asleep, don't get involved, shirk your responsibility. Yes, your kingdom's being overrun, but just wait a little longer and it's all going to be over and then there's another consular to the king, Gandalf. And he comes in and casts the devil out of the king, and right before your eyes, the king starts to wake up. And his eyes get clear and his hair gets short and it goes from gray to being brown. And he looks around the room and he says, Dark have been my dreams of late. It's like, yeah, you've been out of it with this spell cast on you. And he says, Maybe you'll remember your strength if you take your sword and they shove it in his hand, you know. And so in America, the people are the king, but they've had this spell cast on them. And 70% are Christian, which and so they've got two sets of pastors. One says, stay asleep, shirk your responsibility. Yes, you're the king in America. Uh, Romans 13, every authority is set up by God. God allowed our founding fathers to set it up so you, the people, are the king. But just, just go back to sleep, and soon it's all going to be over. And then there's another set of pastors that throw a bucket of ice water on their congregation and say, wake up. You don't just have the right to vote in America. You will be held accountable to God for everything that happens in America. If they're teaching stuff in school and stuff about bathrooms that Jesus wouldn't teach, you're going to be held accountable. If they're selling baby body parts, you're going to be held accountable. If uh, they're letting American guns fall into the hands of ISIS to kill Christians in the Middle East, you're going to be held accountable. right? So this is a, a very important a message. And you know, people say, well, well, I need somebody to tell me what I need to do. It's like, since when does the king sit on the throne and say, can somebody tell me what I'm supposed to do here? hey, Butler, come here, what am I supposed to do? It's like, dude, it's your job to take the time and hear from God, educate yourself on the issues, and you tell your representatives what needs to be done.
2: Wow. Well, folks, you know, I I know that we've carried, uh, we've been so fortunate to have Bill on uh, longer than originally intended, but, uh, and I know you're super busy. So I have to say, I'm always amazed uh, every time uh, I listen to you or read your books. I, I, I enjoy it so much. It's just, and I'm a, a little bit of a history freak. So I guess maybe, uh, you know, I'm weird, but I don't think so. Judging from the stuff that people are saying in chat, I uh, encourage everybody in chat, listen, go, go get anybody listening right now, go get the book. Now they can get the book on Amazon. I put the link on the announcement. Uh, so, you know, on you there's a million different ways to get this book but folks you got to get the book as I know with Bill's books uh, once the snowball starts rolling down the hill it's it it becomes a big deal and then you have to wait a little bit to get the book the other thing Bill is your speaking schedule where can folks see your speaking schedule because I really enjoy hearing you speak live and I'm sure uh, other people around the United States that are listening now would like to hear you uh, as well so how can they find your speaking schedule
0: um i i'm not that organized so i don't have it um i used to publish it and then a couple times uh, i had uh, organizations say hey we need to change from this weekend to the next weekend and i um, didn't have any way of um uh letting people know, right because they just went to the mm-hmm. website and saw it and so so if some people showed up and there wasn't anybody <laughs> no that's changed right. the so next weekend and so um so i I felt bad so i I don't publish it so if people want me to come and speak, uh they can you know go to my website americamin dot com and email me, and I speak uh, every week, usually two or three places around the country, and um I just come for a love offering, and so um
2: you know, same thing a I lot do. Of churches awesome. a lot of
0: political events, a lot of schools you know.
2: Well, that's awesome. It's it's fun to have you on because honestly, it's like I say, it's a master's class in history. And a different deal, uh, I think, with you than with some other folks is this history is very applicable. Uh, it's it's very it's so relevant to right now, right here, where we are and what we're living. And the the left has been very successful, folks. At educating, in other words, they're always talking about how important education is, right? So they get everybody to go. Well, even Bernie Sanders, free education. Every we're working on free education. Well, why do they want that? Because they want to get as many people as they can to be propagandized in their ideology. The important thing for us to do here is to sh- share this book. Share the book. Um, I can tell you from reading all of, all of Bill's other books, they're all fun to read. And they're all easy to read. They're they're in good print, so they're you know they're easy to work your way through, Um, and and buy a couple, you know maybe buy two or three, and share them with your friends. And then contact if you if you would like to have Bill come out and speak to your church or your organization, like you said, same thing I do. Uh, The only the only difference with me is when I do for profit organizations, I have a a specific fee and expenses and all that. But for churches or, I. Ask for a love offering. You cover my travel expenses and a love offering, I'm happy to come. He's the same way. And, and to get a world-class guy like this uh, in, in your organization is is a big deal. I can tell you that for sure. Well, Bill, thank you so much. Please give my very best to your wife and uh, thank her for me for lending. <laughs> you know, she, she has to lend you out to so many people so often. Um, I, I really appreciate that, uh, that she does that. So all, all my best to her as well.
0: Well thank you so much. It's it's always an honor to be on with you, uh Sean and um again if somebody wants to contact me americanminute.com and I send out a, a free daily email if people like history they can sign up for the free daily email called American Minute and uh, again thank you so much.
2: It's my pleasure. Take good care. So there you have it folks. Uh the great I think you would uh I think you would obviously agree that my uh, american americanminute.com Yep, Jerry. That's right. Jerry from Pennsylvania, and thank you, Steve, for posting in chat the link to the book. Um, I look. I can only tell you it, it's. This is we're in this weird place as a country, right? And I guess maybe you know. I, I don't for whatever reason I've chosen to be the guy that kind of calls it out, kind of as it is. And and in and in my case, um, let's just take a, an overall picture, and then we'll kind of nail it down you've got right now you've you've got Susan rice who in her very very important very uh, delicate role it has now come out even though even though before she said no I never went to them and asked for any information I never asked for anybody to be unmasked that would be illegal I I've never done it I didn't do it well once it comes out obviously she did it she did absolutely do it. Then she comes out and says, "Well, in my role, uh, I absolutely am allowed to do that. That's that's within my role. It's it's that's what we that's you know that's what we do. I mean, that's I wasn't doing anything wrong. But no, I never, ever, ever, ever. And this is the thing with liars. You've got to understand that a liar could lie to you for days, months, and years." Uh, and then all of a sudden they say, look, no, but now I'm telling you the truth. This is the truth. Now I'm telling you the truth. Now I'm sincere. I haven't lied to you and, and whatever specified period of time, you can trust me. Well, Susan Rice lied to the American people. I, I think must be every day of her career there uh, in the Obama administration. And she has continued to lie ever since. So we have this person who said initially, no, I never went to them. No, not me. I wouldn't do it. Uh, that's not who I am. That's not what I do. That would be illegal. Now, it's it's out that, yep, she, in fact, she, in fact, did lie. She, in fact, did go to them. Uh, but, but ultimately, well, I did lie. Well, I didn't really lie. You know, I'm on so many shows you know, I'm on the Sunday shows telling lies about, um, you know, Benghazi. And I knew they were lies. Nobody told me and said, now this is the truth. And then you go out and tell everybody. Now, she knew this. She's, look, there are no patsies in the Obama administration. A lot of people will say right now, in fact, I'm getting messages pouring in now. Well, Dr. Sean, what? The, look, let's move on. Let's move on for Pete's sake. Why are we stuck on looking backwards? You know, it's a Trump administration now. Let's let's move forward in the Trump administration. Let's stop worrying about all that stuff. See, that's what the left has depended upon for all these years. They've depended on this for all these years. Why? Because we're suckers. We're chickens. I'm going to try to get my good friend uh, Brad Stein on here. He does, and I shared this with my buddy Jerry and some other friends in my think tank. Um, he does a, a thing on, It uh, does a uh, he, he headlines he's a he's a comedian but he's also really really smart a uh, great patriot very knowledgeable but he understands uh, society he understands what's going on and he does this uh this weekend thing on men you know men's conferences and and how to be a real man again uh and in and in so doing you know he would be the guy that I'd have to come on and say hey you know we need to stop wanting to you know dust our hands off and wash our hands and then give a big hug to the to the left who, who, you know, they didn't oppose us and then stop opposing us when uh, President Trump came into power. Well, they'll what they'll do is say, well, he didn't really win. President Trump didn't win. There were 3 million people that did not vote for Trump. Um, and you know what? He's not going to be there for long. He's going to get indicted. He's done so many things. You know, he worked with Russia. Uh, you know, this guy is, you know, he's trouble. He's trouble, this guy. He's never going to be... In- you know, hey, we want to help anyone who can, but, you know, so what do we do? Uh, the soft left, the chicken Christians, the Christian chickens, well, we say, well, you know, it seems like we're kind of, if we go after Hillary Clinton and we go after, uh, you know, all the different, all the different, uh, you know, players here. I mean, there's a lot of players, you know, a lot, a lot of players. All of these different players. And we say, well, we can't really go after that. Well, it seem like we're just being vindictive. Well, it seem like we're being childish. Well, it seem like, you know, you know, and many of the folks that listen to the show are Christians or followers of Christ. And, uh, and we have a, a huge uh, Jewish and uh, Jewish Orthodox and Messianic following. And we have a huge uh, uh, Mormon following. I don't know how, I, I don't know why. Um, I've spoken to a lot of different Mormon events and, and I, and I've, know I have many many great great Mormon friends I don't I can't explain it but but I'm I'm honored by it the point is is all of us all of us are looking at reason and and we have uh, a modicum of historical uh, knowledge you know knowledge of history real history not hashtag face fake history uh, just like you know Bill Federer just delivered us real history this is real history we're dealing with. so we look, we we stand here when we gain power, which by the way, the conservatives haven't really gained power. You know when a king is truly in power, when the king realizes he's truly in power, you know when a pit bull is truly, truly dangerous, when they're truly, truly dangerous, when they no longer think they're just a dog, when they realize I'm a pit bull, I have a thousand pounds per square inch of bite force. I'm, you know, I won't let go under the worst of circumstances, you know, all these different things. That's when, you know, if a lion has never been convinced, a lion, you know, was maybe raised by kittens or kitty cats and, and it doesn't know. It just doesn't know. There's a, there's a certain amount of natural response that happens just built in the DNA. But if he's raised by a lamb uh, or raised by, you know, an alpaca or whatever, uh, llama, he doesn't know what he can do. But once that lion realizes, hey, you know what? Don't fear the storm. I'm the storm. You'll realize soon enough I'm the storm. And uh, and uh, so we don't realize we're the storm. We don't realize we are the lion. And I, I, I try to encourage people to realize, and I take a lot of crap, a lot of crap, for being a pastor. Just this last week I had people impugning me. Uh, we were supposed to be a pastor, but you're, you're condemning, you know, I came out publicly on the Bill O'Reilly thing and I, I don't like the guy. Uh, I'm not saying he hasn't ever done good things. He's done amazing, wonderful things. Uh, I absolutely believe that he is guilty. I know two of the women um, who pursued suit against him and I believe them because they're not money seekers in the least. They're not money seekers at all uh, Two real good people in that group. I don't know the others. I know of them. I've met a couple of them, but I can't say I know them. The two of them I know. And I can tell you, that's not who they are. And, and I know people who know Bill O'Reilly and say, "Yep, that's him. You know, $13 million has been paid out by Fox to try to keep it quiet. And, you know, you can say, well, they're just seeking money. Well, anyway, so I I wanted to be as a, a pseudo public person, I wanted to come out ahead of it and say, look, I don't like the guy. I absolutely think he is guilty. Um, is he does he do good things? Sure. Sure. You know, but I'm 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 not going to uh I, I just I, I'm not gonna support the guy. I'm just not gonna do it. And and before it comes out, which it will, before it comes out, I wanted to be clear that I'm not just jumping on the bandwagon on this guy, jumping on him while he's down, kicking him while he's down. That's that's not who I am. I also am the type of guy where if I'm wrong about somebody, I'm wrong about him, And I was wrong about Donald Trump. 100% wrong. Now, were there facts? Were my facts correct? Absolutely. But the final, the final decision on what those facts mean and, and, and moving forward, oh, I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong. I absolutely believe Donald J. Trump, President Donald J. Trump, 45th President of the United States of America, is who God sent. Because he's the only one with the cojones. Isn't it something that he's the only Christian who's not a chicken? You know, And people say, well, why hasn't he locked Hillary up? Well, that's not the way it works. It's not the way any of this works. And he's real busy right now doing a whole bunch of other stuff trying to save the country and undo uh, what I'm sure now he is seeing as damage that was even beyond what he knew. Do you see what I'm saying here? So, so the point I'm making is, and, and I'll lay this squarely at the feet of, of pastors. I won't even blame Christians, because remember what uh, Mr. Federer said. He said, you know, you've got these churches who, you know, the, the heads of the churches will say they're like in the Lord of the Rings, they're asleep. They're asleep or they're being tricked and their advisors are saying, no, it'll just be a little while longer. And then all of a sudden Gandalf comes in, all of a sudden somebody comes in speaking truth and they come in and they say, no, no absolutely not this is not true wake up wake up church wake up america a lot of christians are afraid to stand up and and and, and take a stand because and they like you know my my message last sunday honestly you know go to drshonreeder.com or the go click on listen or click on the blog post there's links there commercial free it's you know time will fly and and i i just want to I just want to say, you know, I encourage you to listen to that, especially if you are struggling, especially if you know somebody struggling. Share it with them. Share the share the website with them, and 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 send them there and have them listen to that. But you know, the the, the message I'm preaching as a follow up to that uh, this Sunday is every bit as important. First, Kefa one thirteen, or I'm sorry, First Peter one thirteen. Therefore, get your minds ready for work. Keep yourselves under control and fix your hopes fully on the gift you will receive when Yeshua the Messiah is revealed. As people who obey God, do not let yourself be shaped by the evil desires you used to have when you were still ignorant. On the contrary, following the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves in your entire way of life since the tanakh says you are to be holy because i am holy a lot of pastors are afraid to say that uh, they're afraid to say that because i think for the most part uh, people in general christians in general are afraid they are afraid because they say hey you know what i don't want to i, I don't want to come out as though I'm perfect because you know what? I I'm not perfect. Well, no kidding. No kidding. Wow. Let's give you a let's give you an extra special prize. For getting that right. Wow. We'll make you president of the world. But here's the thing, folks. I'm not perfect. I'm preaching a sermon on a plea for holy living. I I'm making the plea in echoing the plea that came from Kepha or Peter. Uh, which came from Christ, which was echoed by the disciples, which was echoed by the apostles, which was echoed by God the Father. So, so in the in the church, uh, here we are. We're, we're we're ranting and raving about all the things that we like to talk about that fall fresh and lightly on the ears of the of the uh, congregation. Get them, keep giving their their alms in the in the you know the collection plate. Want them to keep giving, want them to keep coming, want them to keep telling their friends. But then what happens? Right? The pastor ends up, he preaches real fluffy, nice sermons every single week. I'm not saying, you know, this can't be your sermon. This sermon that I have coming on Sunday, a plea for holy living, it's, this can't be the sermon you preach every week. You can't, look, an apple a day is good. An apple a day is good. A hundred apples a day, not good. Every now and then you got to vary the diet. Well, folks, you know, it's got to be said, and I'm not afraid to say it, because I'm imperfect. I'm solidly and completely imperfect. My love wife can testify. I am imperfect. I have, my children can testify. My dog can testify. Everybody that knows me can testify. Not only am I not perfect, I'm so far from perfect. But you gotta preach the truth and try. See, in the community of believers, we're all working together to try to help each other uh to achieve the goal of following Christ, to have the mind after Christ, to follow the Holy One who called us. The problem is we're not all doing that. The problem is we're all we're all afraid to say that because if one of us says it, then uh-oh, oh Sean's trying to act like he's somebody perfect, like he's somebody holy. But you think you don't do anything wrong? Oh, slow down, slam dancer! Don't make a mistake on this one. Oh, I absolutely do. As as my uh, lifelong best friend Chuck would say, the boy's afflicted. The boy's flicted. Something wrong with him up in his head. Well, look, folks. You know it comes down to this. This is this is the bottom line. Churches. If you go to a church and you have a mealy mouth preacher who is too chicken. To call it what it is, if he says, look, I'm not going to say who I voted for from the pulpit, and I don't want to violate the 501c3 IRS rules, separation of church and state. Go find you another church. I know one in Newark, Delaware. I try to be back from speaking engagements every single Sunday to speak or preach, Uh, and, and you come there. We'll feed you well, and you're going to hear the truth. I'm sorry to tell you, any Christian, uh, any pastor that, that voted or supported Barack Hussein Obama in any way is an abomination. Well, I just wanted to be supportive. It was history. No, it wasn't history. It was disaster. You voted for disaster. You supported a guy who who uh, enjoys the thought of tearing a, a, a little baby from limb to limb and sucking out the parts and saving the ones, trying to protect the ones that can be sold. You supported that guy. You supported a guy who was out and out a liar. He is a in-your-face liar. He looked at America and said, oh, no, a, a marriage, one man, a woman. Look, when you got to get elected, that's what you do. But then afterwards, give the meat to the base. Well, my, I evolved. Listen, pastors, if if there are pastors out there listening, uh, you've got to step up, take a stand. You can't sit on both sides of the fence. Fence sitters need not apply. You can't halfway pull a pin on a grenade, folks. You can't. It's pull it and throw the grenade or leave the pin in place. You can't unring a bell you cannot unring a bell once it's, you know, and, and so, so so all these things are going on around us and you've got Susan Rice, who is an out and out liar. We know she's a liar. People on the left know she's a liar. Just like, like we on the right know she's a liar. The problem with it is the left doesn't care. Hello to Alaska. Thank you for tapping in. We're glad to hear from you. We on the right We don't understand, the majority of people don't understand, the left doesn't care. They don't care about the lies. They don't care that Hillary Clinton was a traitor, is a traitor. They don't care that Hillary Clinton was a liar, is a liar. They don't care that Susan Rice was a liar, is a liar. They don't care. Remember, where they base their moral fiber, their strength, is not in God the Father. They're godless people. You say, no, I've seen them get a change. They're playing a role. They're pretending. But pastors, if you're listening, folks, you've got to step up. You've got to step up and stand. Hashtag decide, resolve, and stand. We're really going to hurt ourselves if we don't start having people stand. And what's even more important is having people stand who are in positions of authority or positions of leadership. And you say, man, pastor, you know, just sent me a note a little bit ago. He says, I I have to confess, I'm not going to read his text. If I read his text, you'll know exactly who it is. I, I don't because all I do is I push people away. And I'm trying to drive these people to Christ. Listen, that's pushing a rope, brother. It's pushing a rope. You can't do it. It's hurting cats. You can't do it. Preach the truth. Preach the truth, folks. Preach it. We say, well, if I do that, then, you know, look, I'm I'm not perfect. I do a lot of stuff wrong. I do a lot of stuff wrong. Well, as soon as I start preaching holiness and standing up and all that, guess what will happen? Somebody will mess around and, and catch me doing something I'm not supposed to do, even if it's not even a big thing, then it becomes a big thing. Oh, you're a hypocrite. Judge not, lest you be judged. Judge not, lest you be judged. Totally out of context, by the way. So it comes down to this. Look, why why are some Christians and believers followers of the way why are they silent and this includes pastors but they don't know the word they don't know the word one of the best things you know obviously my car crash left me and this is coming up on the anniversary by the way uh, April 12 2012 we're, we're coming up on it my whole life changed that day my whole life changed I knew most of the Bible by heart I could quote entire chapters of the Bible I've done it. And then the crash happened, the brain injury happened and I can't do it anymore. One of the b- biggest blessings ever, despite the pain, despite the disability is that I now am reading scripture with fresh eyes. Yeah. I did divinity school, seminary. Yeah, I have a doctorate in theology. Sure. Working on another doctorate now. And I'm telling you every single day, go back into it's it's like uh bill federer by the way bill federer you you you've only scratched the surface and a a student of the word you couldn't find a better student of the word capital w i'm saying to you that to you that you know we are we're in this kind of crazy place where we are we don't know history too many people don't know reality history real history hashtag real history (laughs) Too many people don't. Too many people don't know Scripture. People don't know the context of of Scripture. They don't know the, 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 the language, the land, the culture. They don't know any of it. And so what happens? Any old body can just tell us anything they want to tell us and we'll believe it. We'll believe it. You know, folks, that's the sad truth. We'll believe it. After a while, we start believing anything. Somebody stands up and tells something what makes us want to clap our hands, we're happy. I really enjoyed church today. Boy, the Lord was really in that place. And then when the fellow comes in the next week talking about his sermon is a plea for holy living, get your minds ready for work, keep yourselves under control, fix your hopes fully on the gift you will receive when Yeshua the Messiah is revealed. As people who obey God, do not let yourselves be shaped by evil desires you used to have when you were still ignorant. Following the Holy One. See, this is the thing. I mean, they'll say, Oh, uh, I didn't really care for that sermon. I didn't really yeah, that sermon. I didn't really care for that. Really and truly, who do you think he is Look, I know that dude. I know how he live. You can't be a total contradiction and stand up there and preach every single week. You can't be a Christian and go into your go into your workplace and be lazy. You can't go into your workplace. And be lazy you can't go in your workplace and not be squared away you can't go in your workplace and not give your boss more than you're being paid for you can't do it you got to try every day try but those pastors out there who are listening right now and you're listening and you're saying hey you know what i want to do it i want to do it but man you know i know what's going on in my congregation there's a lot of people out there that are gosh if i preach this sermon man You know, look, I don't want to move my family again. I just moved here a year and a half ago and, you know, the church was kind of in a split anyway and, um, you know, gosh, I, you know, I'm kind of thinking they're liking me now finally. The giving has picked back up. The key people are, are really involved. They're all on the board. Why do you think the key people with the most influence are always on the board? It isn't always because they're the smart, sharp people. Now, my buddy Jerry, you can find a smarter guy. If you've got a board, he better be on it. But he's going to speak the hard truth. But there's so many out there. They say, hey, you know, I need to shape this this church, kind of be like I want it to be. So I'm going to get on that deacon board. And for long, those same people. It's happened. It's happened. I have a good friend. I want him to come on here. One of the best preachers you'll ever hear. One of the best guys you'll ever hear in your life. Uh, he's had it happen to him and his family not once but several times preaching the word bringing the word hardcore well you know what we're kind of tired of that off you go so they have the power to do it so you say oh, i'm afraid i'm afraid of that i don't want to i don't want to be without a house i don't want to be without a job again i don't want to be without income again what am i going to do with my family what are you gonna do with everybody else's eternity Look, I you know, I've said it a million times if I said it once. I'm as messed up a dude as there is on the block. But you know what? You gotta ask yourself at some point, are you a follower or are you a fan? That's so funny. My buddy Steve just popped that up there from Ohio. He just popped, are you follower. Just gonna come out of my mouth, just popped up on my screen. Are you a follower or a fan? You know, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Yeah, salvation. Last last week I, I preached my guts out. I, please, please go listen to that sermon and don't just listen to it and don't leave a comment, even if you hated it. Leave a comment. Share it with your friends if you liked it. It's, it's great hope, the living hope. But you know what? The, the next step is to be a holy people. We are to be. It says you are to be holy. You are to be holy because I am holy, God says. Need to change, change in lifestyle. Look, I, I appreciate you listening. I, I don't for any any you know, and this this is just between me and you. Number of people listening every week, I wonder, man, am I is am I talking to myself here? And then I get the reports and all the different countries that are listening and and all these uh, you know all these numbers and. And, and I think, wow, you know, but, but my friend, coach, uh, Prasik, he said it. Listen, you don't have influence until you can move people to do a certain thing. And, you know, I'm saying to you, share this on, if you're a social media person, share our links, share the website, tell them what you think, leave them any review. If you hated it, do that too. Do that too. If you hated it, why not? Just Like any of my sermons, I tell people, I'm not afraid for you to tell me you hate it, and I and I'm not living for you to tell me you loved it. But I want it to be that you were connected in some way. So Coach Prasik, he says he said this and it really stuck with me. You know, look, you can have 1.4 million listeners, but are they doing are they are they is there some change? Is there some movement? You know, and I started this, I started this show just about at the beginning. Uh, with Invictus from William Ernest Henry. And, and I and I look at it and I think, man, you know, I don't want to be one of those pastors that, that just runs around saying how sweet and lovely everything's going to be, because it's not. And I, I sit here at this microphone, and, and uh, by the way, I don't know how those who are still listening, I don't know um, how the sound is for you and how it differs from week to week, uh, but we're trying something a little different, we think, it might improve the listening experience for you and and so let me know on that you know just let me know what you think on it we've had some come back and say it sounds great and other people said me nee. so the more feedback i get i'm i'm pleased with it so so my point in my point in this is and at the beginning i talked about it matters not how straight the gate how charged with my with punishments the scroll i am the master of my fate i am the captain of my soul you know we know we serve a risen god we serve a living savior we it is it is not negotiable. But you know what? I gotta tell you, you know, as Christians and, and as followers of the way we're already defeated, we're already defeated on uh, conservatives. I look, I look at, uh, and and this drives me crazy to look at this and, and it really frustrates me. I look at conservatives in Congress and I say to myself, you don't know yet. You're a lion. You don't know yet you're a German Shepherd or a Pitbull or a Doberman or a Rottweiler. You don't know it yet. You still think you're a little poodle puppy, little teacup. Yes, Alaska, I do still have a cold, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that feedback. Excellent. Yeah, I'm fighting this thing. I can't seem to beat it. You know, it's, I think it's gone and then it's back. It's gone and then it's back. So... So my point in all this is, you know, we have to remember Christ came as a baby, but he's not coming back as a baby. He is absolutely not coming back as a baby. This does not end the way it began. So this is very, very important. There's no other way to say it's the most important aspect of life what you believe about eternity, what you believe about the origins of this world. Man, what a day that will be. What a day that will be. Can you imagine? What a day that will be. What a, what a, what an absolute honor to serve beside people that, that understand what you believe and believe what you believe. There's a, Jim Hill wrote this song. I ended my message last week, uh, on Sunday rather, with that song. What a day that will be. There is a, And it's Jim Hill wrote this song. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow. There are no more burdens to bear. No more sickness, no pain, no more parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day, that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. And he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. Man, that's my blessed hope. Is it yours? Then why don't we fight like it? Why don't we stand like people say, well, Christians aren't supposed to be fighters. Who told you that lie? Who told you that lie? It's simply not true. Folks, I'm so proud that you would take the time to listen today. Um, I'm honored by it. Um, the three things that we talk about that help us, if you patronize those things. It helps us in a very, very tiny, tiny way. But if there's enough of that tiny way, uh, it can really help sustain us to what we do because we do this on our own dime. Uh, second call defense. All you need to do, all you need to know, is the theninjapastor.com. The banner at the bottom, it's red. It says second call defense. Click on that. You will if you uh, and you can quit the plan at any time. There's no contracts. But if you you sign up and you uh, do do that through my page, you will get a month free. They will send you a full check uh, and it comes really quickly for your money back. And then, my good friends, veteran owned, all American company, everything made in America, engineered in America, uh, warehoused in America, everything, thelogox.com, thelogox.com. If you do anything with wood, firewood at all, you gotta have this. I'm telling you, save your back. You get a three in one tool, you type in the ninja pastor in the checkout, guess what you're gonna get? you're gonna get $25 immediately off. Then, I love this, the Hilo LX, H-E-L-O-L-X, the Hilo LX, um, send me a message at smgreener.com or better yet, contact me through the ninjapastor.com through the contact me part. Uh, I'll send you a link to two, two minute video, I think it is, with all the information you imagine. It's the coolest thing ever. I'm telling you, it is amazing. Wearable medical device. Thank you folks so much for what you do and what you mean to me. Uh, if you're a person who is empowered uh, and equipped to give, to participate in what we do in this ministry, I'd, I would love to have your help. Um, every penny that goes there goes right back in. I can assure you of that my family can attest to that. And some of you, several of you have given, and I, I so appreciate it. Man, it means the world. Uh, there's no greater vote of confidence than when you put your money where your mouth is and you, you say, hey, this is... This is, this is who I support, this is what I support. Um, I, I wanna also encourage you, and I don't get a penny for when I'm, when I say this about the books, I only have people on here, uh, authors and speakers and, and all that, who I can really believe in. And if they have a product, I really, I've researched it. Um, I've heard Bill Federer speak several times live. He's extraordinary. Uh, I've read all of his books except for the whole of this one. I'm working on this one. Um, who is the king of America and who are the counselors to the king? It's so important that you know these things, but it's also important that you share it with someone. You share it with someone so that then they can know. You say, look, you're preaching to the choir. I know this. Find somebody that's not the choir yet. They're just in the, in the background warming up. They're warming up their voice, seeing if they can sing. Do that. Put that book in their hand. And listen, if you're driving somewhere now, you're on the your way to Bible study, you're on the your way to church, you're on your way to midweek prayer service, whatever you're on your way to doing, or you're on your way home from school, or maybe uh, you're on the couch recovering from surgery, God bless you and keep you. God bless you and keep you. If you're facing difficult decisions this week, consult God and then be quiet because he will respond. He always does. He always does. Million hashtag. It's a hashtag million happy warriors. Decide, resolve, and stand. Follow me at the Ninja Pastor. On Twitter at the ninja pastor on Twitter I'm on Quora by the way Quora is q-u-o-r-a Quora it's a new thing I guess some young guy invented it I uh, was asked to write for it and so I do it's free doesn't cost you anything and you can ask questions about specific things um, and I'll write answers to it there's lots of other people on there you're gonna get all kinds of stuff but it is kind of a cool thing so and we're on LinkedIn Facebook, facebook.com backslash TheNinjaPastor. Um, we'd be glad to have you follow us there. Share everything. It's important to share, your mother said. Thanks again so much for joining us today. It's an honor to have you. I tell you, I'm, make no mistake about it. But folks like you, take your time to click on this link and listen. And and especially the ones that share. I love that. It means the world. Uh, that means the world to me, man. That is that is a big, big deal. And Never, ever, ever. We'll take it for granted. God bless you.
1: Join us next time for the collision of faith and politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the ninja pastor and follow Dr. Sean on Twitter. At the Ninja Pastor, and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio, and at www.drSeanGreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.